Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. QB annual, which has actually become an annual tradition for our show. Ben Lindsay, what is going on, Ben? How are you? I'm doing well. Quarterback uh, annual looks a little bit different this year. Came out a little bit later, but uh, a lot of the same information in there. So happy to be back on and talk about it. Uh, I was just commenting to you before we went on. Very bright, very colorful, uh, and just so much data in your face, which we're going to uh, pick apart. I, I would love to know like the, the process uh, on this. I mean, because it just feels like it's grown every year with the QB annual, the amount of information and in a way, and, and you know how much I love all data uh, regarding football, but um, I'm having to go through Kirk cousins chapter, like several times to just to take kind of all of it in. I mean, uh, I don't even know where to begin with all the different data that uh, is included. So I'd love to know kind of how it all comes together. Yeah, it's an interesting balance. Uh, I started doing it two years ago. George Chahori originally uh, put it together. So I kind of took took the mantle last year. And actually, the thought this year was to kind of pare it back a little bit while still adding in some new situations, stuff that hadn't been in their past, like two high safety, single high safety, some, some of the different situational stuff um, while eliminating some of the, just looking at a giant table of data and not, not, not really processing what you're looking at. There's still a little bit of that because we're trying to include a lot, um, but mainly just give some basic stats, uh, yards per attempt, completion percentage, passer rating in different scenarios, some more of our advanced stats, like accuracy rate grades, um, more universal advanced stats like EPA um, and, and just kind of balancing, giving you a lot of information, but also having you be able to, to actually understand what's going on. Yeah. One thing I really like the look of that is new is uh, the stable and unstable metrics. And, and I like that that kind of directs anybody to a little bit of what it means just sort of layered in, which is really uh, what we're going to talk about is kind of what it all means. So as I'm going through Kirk's numbers, I am going to quietly read them uh, the entire chapter now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> one, one thing that I, that I want to understand that I think the data can help me understand about Kirk Cousins and about the offense for the Minnesota Vikings is just the connection between the head coach and the quarterback. And I think with circumstances and schemes and all those things and uh, Sean Payton today saying that it was the worst coaching job in history or whatever that Denver had done, it's always very, very challenging 
to try to pick apart, well, how much was it Kevin O'Connell? How much was it Kirk Cousins for the different causes of these metrics? So we have the results, but what are the causes? And I'm going to be honest here, Ben, I'm trying to project a little bit forward to how much Kevin O'Connell impacts quarterbacks in general because Kirk Cousins does not have a contract for next year. So when we look at this data, how should we interpret for Cousins data uh, what we can read into how much the coach impacted Cousins' performance last year? It's it's one of the toughest things to to split out uh, when you're talking about just football in general. Obviously, the quarterback has a more it's the most important position in professional sports. Arguably, they have more of an impact on winning than any other position. But a lot, most quarterbacks are still highly reliant on the situation they're in. Right? You see that last year with Aaron Rodgers in an example. Devontae Adams leaves. Some of the offense changes. He takes takes a step back from his MVP form. It's the same discussion with Justin Fields this offseason, why people are so split on him, right? Obviously, he got thrown into a bad situation, bad coaching his rookie year, not a lot of supporting talent. It has Are his numbers really reflective of what he's going to be moving forward now that they add DJ Moore, bring in more stuff? Um, so I think generally the stable metrics, you have bigger sample sizes. Um, you have more to, to sort of go back and, and feel comfortable that those are more predictive year to year. That's why they get grouped into the stable bucket and the quarterback has a little bit more control, but even still stuff like uh, stuff just on the, in the straight drop back game, uh, clean pockets, not all of those are created equal. Um, if you have receivers running open way downfield, you're going to grade better. Um, so it, it's a difficult problem to sort of sort out. I, I tend to think the unstable metrics um, is is a little bit more where you see those those kind of athletic traits that people talk about the quarterback position, the ability to create. Um, you see that come up more, and that's a little bit less reliant on scheme. Um, but it's definitely a tough problem. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that under the unstable is positively graded throws, and you know, I think that uh, something that is generally up and down from year to year is explosive plays. Um, but there's some, you know, some guys with unstable metrics like Josh Allen. Uh, who could sort of overcome the the performance under pressure, something like that, right? And in trying to even project what Kirk Cousins is going to be for this year, that was something I was looking at as well, is trying to figure out like where is the regression or where could it actually be better? And two things stuck out to me. One, he graded fine when using play action, but the play action results were not good, which is kind of interesting. Like, so he was doing his job, but the receivers maybe weren't as open as they needed to be or whatever. It wasn't really successful. Um, but that's the thing that kind of goes up and down. But I also think like something like avoiding negative plays has always been really good for Kirk Cousins. Sometimes gets him in trouble with certain checkdowns on fourth and eight and so forth that uh, stand out. But um, you know, I, I think that a lot of the things that Cousins did last year, except for grading, uh, you know, high under pressure, which he's been very up and down throughout his career, are pretty stable for him year to year, kind of through his entire career. Yeah, and, and I think that's sort of the story on Cousins is we, we kind of know what he is, right? That he does things well. There's things that he's never he's never really going to do, and that's why he's such a such a divisive quarterback. The pressure stuff stood out to me as well when I was going through and looking um, because he did grade well. He was under pressure a lot. I believe the second most um, snaps behind Justin Herbert uh, last year, but he did a pretty good job of 
of sort of mitigating those situations, right? And I, I think one of the more interesting things with Cousins is if you look at his, sort of the percentage of pressures that are attributed to him, it's one of the lowest in the NFL, right? So it's not a case of him kind of drifting in the pocket, him holding onto the ball. Um, he did a good job of mitigating some of the, the struggles they had on the interior specifically. Um, but yeah, avoiding negatives, um, having success off play action, even if the offense themselves uh, didn't have a lot of success, which is tied to a little bit to the run game, right? It's tied to a few other things. Um, but I think Cousins had a, a pretty typical year for him, um, with the exception, like you said, of play action. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting metric to talk about when you talk about does someone invite pressure or not? Because with Kirk Cousins, uh, I think that he throws the ball on time 90% of the time. And uh, this is what you, if you're watching a training camp practice and you're trying to figure out, does a quarterback know what he's doing? When he hits the back foot, the ball should be coming out most of the time. And Kirk Cousins does that. And of course, having Justin Jefferson wide open a lot or uh, you know just able to catch anything probably helps him confidently do that. But there's another part of it that I think he naturally invites pressure, not in the way that you guys track the metric, but as in does not run away. So like with, with Russell Wilson, he used to invite a ton of pressure. Deshaun Watson was the same way, but a lot of that was, I can make a play. I'm going to try to hold on to the ball a little longer to give myself a chance. And yes, I am basically saying to the defenders, come get me, but creating those extra opportunities. And I, I think that that sort of shows up that Kirk is as good as it gets for this type of quarterback that hits the back foot and gets the ball out and things like that. But it also, in terms of the raw numbers that he put up, this, the overall career success, I think it also tells us something about that, like how valuable that mobility is, even if you are inviting some extra pressure at times. Yeah, I think the case you have to look at with that is Patrick Mahomes, um, because that same so there's a scatter plot in the beginning of the annual that kind of plots uh, percentage of pressures responsible for at quarterback against percentage of pressures taking a sack. Right? And Mahomes is someone who invites a lot of pressure. Right? He's he's going to make life on his tackles specifically a little bit more difficult because he's going to drift. But it doesn't really matter, right? Because those are that's what makes that's his superpower. It's what makes him special. He's able to make those off off platform throws, um, right? You you draw up a linebacker and, and hit Travis Kelsey running opposite the way he's drifting right behind him, and, and that's part of what makes him great. Uh, with someone like Cousins, he's more stepping up into the pocket, which kind of ties into some of the pressure numbers for the interior offensive line. It's it's tougher because rather than a quarterback drifting back, drifting outside the pocket, he's stepping up, he's taking hits, um, but it kind of confines the space you're in. So it's it's an interesting way to see the the differing styles of play there. Yeah, I looked back at Cousins' entire career because you have a metric on PFF.com that shows where the pressure came from, like which position, right guard, center, tackle. And even when he had good tackles uh, or bad tackles, it didn't really matter. It was always coming from the middle. Even when he had good guards in Washington, it was always coming from the middle. And I think that, I mean, some of that is that his coaches have often uh, put him under center because he's good at that and kind of came up in that traditional under center era of the NFL. Uh, but even in the shotgun last year, it may have benefited uh, the center Garrett Bradbury a bit. But once again, we saw the guards just get attacked and attacked. It's also because every team knows this guy is not running away from us. And 
when the Vikings played Kyler Murray in 2021, it was fascinating to see how Mike Zimmer schemed up to keep him from scrambling and get out of the pocket. He still had a good game that, that game, but he didn't have a lot of scrambles. And he did that to Wilson a few times too, where he would just contain, contain, contain. And you don't have to do that with Kirk Cousins. It's just like, let's send all of our pressure at him. So I think that that's one thing that we have to kind of use the metrics and our common sense understanding how he plays to see the impact of that shortcoming of his game. But there's another metric I want to ask about as it pertains to coaching, and that is yards per attempt on zero graded throws. Now, nobody shut off the podcast because I just said that. It's a little confusing and sounds weird. All it means is a throw that any reasonable quarterback could make. Uh, So like a screen, like the quarterback's doing nothing on a screen. He's just catching the ball and just, you know, throwing it, you know, two yards in front of him Uh, or a wide open crossing route where there's nobody around. You don't have to make a special throw. And Kirk Cousins was very middling in this. And I think that this is a coaching stat because Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy are at the very top. And, And this is like what Kyle Shanahan does is creates these zero graded throws or anyone could make them throws. Uh, what did you make of kind of how those rankings worked out? And do you think I'm right that uh, it is kind of a coaching stat? Yeah, that was the intent when I was going through and trying to think of new things to add to kind of the overview sections in the beginning. I, I realized zero graded is a universal term. People will see it and they'll kind of kind of shut down. Um, it, it's something that in season when I'm working with NBC and stuff for the broadcast, I, I have to keep in mind um, – you have to be able to explain things to the average fan, but basically it's, it's just like you said, it's just an expected throw. Um, and it is a coaching stat in my opinion. And the results you see Garoppolo's up at the top. Brock Purdy is number two. Uh, Jared Goff, who, who a lot of people think Ben Johnson is going to, to get a head coaching job next year. One of the top offensive coordinators in the league. He's number three with the, the Vikings specifically. Um, I, I think part of it also is that, they ran a lot of routes kind of 10 plus yards downfield over the middle of the field. Those are tougher routes to get zero graded throws on, right? It's you're asking your quarterback to make downfield throws uh, likely in traffic. Uh, So in that situation, a lot of their cousins potential zero graded throws might be more underneath, right? You, You might not have as many, many downfield opportunities. So I think that might play a little bit into it with O'Connell and the Vikings. Um, But in general, I think it does a good job of showing offenses and offensive coordinators who are doing a good job of creating easy yards after the catch opportunities for their offense. You you make a really interesting point there uh, that pings in my brain about the Rams moving on from Jared Goff and bringing in Matthew Stafford, because it seems like that Kevin O'Connell Rams inspired offense wants to ask a lot of its quarterback and not just say, Hey, we'll dial up a bunch of yards after catch. And I do think that there is a ceiling on yards after catch to at some point, and And I like Jimmy Garoppolo and what he did in San Francisco. They won a lot of football games for someone who doesn't get much credit as a quarterback. But uh, yeah, I think that there is a, at some point you have to have quarterbacks who can make big time throws. And we saw it in the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. At some point, your dude has to make a no look laser beam into double coverage rocket throw. If you want to win the Super Bowl. And I think cousins is capable. And you look at his accuracy numbers. They're very, very good 
as you would expect. I think he's capable of making a lot of those throws. But as I'm thinking about the next quarterback, so if you get drafted to the San Francisco 49ers or with Ben Johnson in Detroit, if they move on from golf at some point or whatever, uh, you, you are going to have life be a little easy on you. So I think that the bar for the next quarterback for O'Connell, what he's going to ask his quarterback to do is actually quite high. And this may be why the Vikings did not draft Kenny Pickett. The Vikings did not draft Will Levis when they had opportunities because you have to get a lot of big time throws for it to work. And we saw with Stafford in that season, they won the Super Bowl. There was a lot of variance in that. There was a lot of times where he threw three interceptions and then, but he also threw for 5,000 yards. And I think Kevin O'Connell wants it to be that way. And I think it's, it's not just O'Connell. You look at the coaches sort of from that tree. It's kind of across the board, right? You, you mentioned Stafford, the Niners traded up multiple first round picks to get Trey Lance to, to add that talent. It hasn't worked out so far. It doesn't sound like he's going to be the starter next year. Um, but it, it's something that they've looked for the, the Packers with Jordan love, right? It's sort of ta- has a lot of arm talent, a, a guy who can create a little bit. We'll see how that goes, but it's something that these offenses have looked for. Um, and, and I do think cousins, right. He has probably a better arm than people give him credit for. I think one place that shows up when you're looking at the quarterback annual, is the vertical lead throws is something that he grades highly on. And those are essentially both vertical lead throws and over the shoulder throws are leading a receiver downfield. Vertical lead is more driven, right? So think of right hitting the hole in cover two, um, hitting a guy running down the seam. Generally a, a you need more arm strength to, to sort of hit those throws than the, the lofted over the shoulder throws downfield. And it's an area that Kirk Cousins has had success. Um, so even if they move on from him, which I'm guessing might happen, um, they'll probably still look for a quarterback, right. Who has the ability to, to make those off platform throws, to hit those windows over the middle of the field, um, down the sideline, sort of between the corner and the safety, uh, And I think that's kind of the way that whole coaching tree is moving. Yeah, no, that's a great point is so Aaron Rodgers probably when he was with LaFleur and wins two MVPs got a lot of help uh, in in terms of how they schemed it up four yards after catch or for short throws, zero graded throws. And yet at the end of the day, you need Aaron Rodgers to do some MVP stuff. And that's the thing about a Brock Purdy or a Jimmy Garoppolo is that's nice and it's great, uh, but when it's third down and 20 and you need the guy to throw off his back foot 40 yards down the field to Tyreek Hill to win the Super Bowl, you don't have that guy and they do. And of course, everyone wants that guy. Everyone wants Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes who can uh, be special. But I think that what Kevin O'Connell will have to improve at, and we'll see how it goes this year. I'll be interested for next year's QB annual about the data is – what Shanahan does so well and McVay does so well is they can do both. And I didn't see the easy throws. And I think that that's where with Gary Kubiak, to some extent, Clint Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski, you see the screens, you see the the play actions, you see those really working for Kirk Cousins. And I think that's why when we look at his traditional numbers, his quarterback rating, things like that, even his PFF grade, uh, that they were down from previous years. I don't think he really played worse. And he certainly played really well anytime a clutch situation came up last year. But uh, I don't think that he played worse than he did in the past. I think that the easy throws were not there. And if Kevin O'Connell's going to bring in a rookie and develop that player, 
those have to improve. Like you have to be better at executing screen passes and play actions and things because that's going to drive. I, I don't know. Maybe you would know what percentage of an offense, but like a third of an offense sometimes is those plays. Yeah. It, a third is about right. Right. You look at, at some of the offenses in the NFL, they're up above 20% screen rate RPOs sort of around the same range. And if you're not sort of, beating expectations in those areas, it, it makes it difficult on the quarterback. Uh, Kenny Pickett is an example last year, right? He, in terms of grading, um, he actually played pretty well. Uh, the offense really struggled just because he didn't have those easy throws. They avoided the middle of the field. Um, not a lot of play action. So yes, you want your quarterback to, to do the difficult things. Uh, but especially if you're bringing along a young player, you have to, have to make it as easy as possible for them to kind of learn on the fly while still leading an offense that can move the ball. I don't understand why Pittsburgh stayed with their offensive coordinator. I mean, they're someone else's problem to cover, but like what? Yeah, you, you I, and I, me I, both. You and me both. I, do not understand that at all. I have a friend who works sports radio out there and he's t- he tweets about it all the time. And just having watched a few of those games, it, it, why, why are we making things so much more difficult on a rookie quarterback than they need to be? I was impressed that uh, Kenny Pickett kind of grinded through that. Um, I, I was curious about Justin Fields because uh, you probably know my former intern and former PFF intern, Haley English and uh, people who listened through the off season, when she was doing the show with me, will know how she felt about uh, Justin Fields' data. Not impressed. And she made it very clear that she was not impressed. Uh, how about how about you? How do you view it? Now that we have uh, the QB annual showing us so much, like every detail, uh, there's still not a lot to be real excited about. But as we were talking about circumstances matter, how much can we take this and transfer it onto what he's going to be this year? It's tough um, because he there. When you're looking at the data, there isn't much optimism uh, to be gleaned from from any of it. And, and the most interesting thing to me is the accuracy. And when I was sort of writing up takeaways um, after I released the quarterback annual, you look at what Justin Fields was his last year at Ohio State. He, in terms of accurate pass rate, he led the FBS. And then you get to Chicago, and he's beating out only Zach Wilson among qualifying quarterbacks over the last two years. And yes, he's throwing the ball downfield. It's more difficult to be accurate when you're throwing the ball as far downfield as he is. Offensive line hasn't been great. Receivers haven't been able to create a ton of separation. You sort of have to factor all of that in, but you do have a quarterback going into year three and he hasn't shown much reason at all for optimism. Even if you're comparing to a best case scenario, like Josh Allen, Allen, his numbers were still a a tad better in some areas, at least in terms of offensive efficiency and how they were able to move the ball. And even with fields and all he added as a scrambler, uh, he had more scramble yards than any quarterback since Michael Vick in 2006, their offense still really struggled. Um, Fields as a passer really struggled. So it'll be interesting to see how much a young offensive line sort of getting another year under their belt, another year under Luke Getze, who a lot of people respect, as an offensive play caller and offensive coach and bring in DJ Moore, see how that all impacts him. Um, But from a data perspective, there's not, not a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think uh, Chicago had to take more of a leap of faith than anything. Uh, But there is a certain threshold of blaming the circumstance that I just can't really get on board with. Uh, Call it like, 
like the Ryan Fitzpatrick quotient or something like if, if I think Ryan Fitzpatrick could have done better with that offense, passing the ball than Justin Fields last year, I'm pretty concerned even with those weapons, because we, you know, Fitzpatrick was the guy who would always be dropped into a bad team and they would say, all right, look, can you just win like five games and then we can draft someone else. And he would say for $20 million, you bet I can. Uh, But what Ryan Fitzpatrick would always do, whether it was Tampa Bay or Miami or whatever, is he would, he'd get you like that 4,000 yards or whatever. I mean, he, he would make a reasonable quarterback situation out of it. Even if the team was trying to intentionally lose like in Miami, I think he won something like five or six games in the year that they were supposed to win zero. And I think that fields was significantly worse than what Ryan Fitzpatrick would have done uh, with that Chicago bears situation. And, and I don't know how you could not be concerned about that. And here's another thing that I wanted to ask is just how much, and you, you try to quantify this in a chart. So how much the players around and their grades and their performance impact the quarterback, like how bad was it in terms of circumstance for Justin Fields? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, I don't have the chart in front of me to see exactly where he ranked. Um, but I know it, it's a situation where it's not a lot of talent around him. Obviously they extend commit, but even when you, you don't have a great situation, right. There's still quarterbacks who, who provide above average sort of wins above replacement, above average value, PFFs approximation of value at least. And, and fields wasn't up there. Um, so like I said, it's a situation where it, you expect him to take a step forward. I'm just not too optimistic that it's going to be a big enough step for the Bears. As bad as it gets, basically, is uh, I'm looking <laughs> yeah, at the chart yeah. right now, like all the way at the bottom. Uh, not surprising that, you know, Kirk Cousins was toward the top because he has Justin Jefferson, which has uh, certainly helped. Hey, here's what I want to know uh, from your study of basically every NFL quarterback here. What, what are we confident in for this year? Like there, there's a lot of, Hey, it could go this way or it could go that way. I'll give you an example. I think I'm confident. You put it that way. What do we think we're confident in? Cause it could be blown up instantly that Derek Carr in new Orleans is going to be pretty good. I think that the supporting cast there, as we mentioned is pretty good, but also there's something to most quarterbacks, not Kirk for whatever reason, but when your team isn't really buying into you. And I also think that Josh McDaniels is a horrible head coach, even if he's a good offensive coordinator, that that situation has kind of progressed and could look pretty good. And I look at Andy Dalton's metrics and I just scratched my head. Like I saw him play pretty good against the Vikings, but everybody did. So I didn't think much of it. And I don't know that I watched another Andy Dalton game the whole year, but I went like, well, if Andy Dalton had some decent metrics, I think Derek Carr is like a souped up version of him. So I think I'm confident that Derek Carr is going to make a, for a pretty good quarterback in new Orleans. And that's a good situation for him to drop into. What, what are you could respond to that, but what, what are you confident in after looking at all the metrics? Yeah, I agree with you on, on, on Carr and Andy Dalton is one of the, if you didn't really, if you weren't sort of in my world where I'm looking at grades and numbers throughout the season, and then you just see Andy Dalton's numbers in the quarterback annual and you, you kind of, what you kind of look at that and say, well, how did that happen? Um, but he played pretty well for them. Um, I, I think sort of sticking with the car theory, like I don't see how Jimmy Garoppolo in Las Vegas works, right? You, we already talked a little bit about San Francisco and how the layups that those offense creates for Garoppolo. 
And yes, you need a quarterback to to be able to who's willing to pull the trigger over the middle of the field before guys are open. You have to have that level of trust. But he's always someone who's struggled under pressure. The the Las Vegas offensive line does not look very good on paper. Yes, you have Devontae Adams, but you lose Darren Waller. I just don't see how he jumps into that situation and, and they have any success. It's one of the moves of the offseason that was kind of surprising um, to me. And then I think one more I'll throw out is there's a lot of talk um, sort of at that right after Mahomes, the, the Allen, the Burrow, the Herbert, if you want to throw him in there. I think we can be most confident that Burrow is going to have a, a very good year. Um, I think out of sort of those, those combinations behind Mahomes, Burrow was 97th percentile in every stable metric last year. He's a guy who, who does sort of the, the expected things very well. Um, he has some, some faults, right? He'll take some sacks, um, but that's more of a stylistic thing. I think when you're looking at clean pocket, straight drop back, all of those situations, um, it, it's just he's a very safe projection from year to year, uh, whereas Allen and Herbert have a little bit more volatility. Yeah, Herbert was what I was going to bring up, and uh, I this is uh, if I was trying to go a little bit on the the toasty side, I might say that I don't think it's going to be that different with Justin Herbert. But I I feel like the internet just disagrees. Everybody loves what is somebody last year called him an internet quarterback. I was like, okay, let's let's, now we're going too far. The guy is six foot six and can throw it over them mountains. But like, there's just something about his game that. I feel like there isn't this looseness that there is with the Mahomes, a Burrow and an Allen. There is a confidence to those players. And we're talking about guys that remind me of like John Elway or Ben Roethlisberger, whatever, like those, those are the aliens. And there's just maybe a rigidness to Herbert where you're like, dude, if you, if you were like a little more, you know, a little more chill or something there, whatever it is, that factor, you could just, destroy everybody but instead you're just pretty good as opposed to an absolute alien uh I, well, what is that does that show up somewhere like what what is it about him because I, I feel like he gets talked about like those other guys but i don't think he's quite there and i don't know if an offensive coordinator change fundamentally changes that element of who he is yeah i, I kind of agree with you when i was another one of my takeaways that i wrote up was a lot of the blame goes on joe lombardi and right? Deservedly so, right? I don't think that offense maximized what they had. You're trying to turn a guy who, right? You roll him out to the right and he's hitting a corner on the opposite side of the field. Like you have that guy, you have to take advantage of that, that kind of talent more. Um, But at the same time, I don't think people are talking enough about the role that Herbert played in one of the lowest average depth of targets in the league. If you look at his route heat map, so basically where the chargers were running, their routes compared to league average compared to where Herbert was throwing the ball. They were running routes downfield, down the sidelines. Now there's some nuance there, right? How many of those routes were just clear out routes? How many were actually, was the play intended to go there? But on the target heat map, Herbert wasn't throwing those passes, right? All of it was sort of underneath. So he was getting kind of locked into right? Check down to Austin Eckler underneath route to Keenan Allen, right? That was where he was comfortable. And I think that kind of connects a little bit to what you were talking about, where 
there's not as much of the the freelancing um, sort of type of nature to his play that you see in in Burrow and Allen and Mahomes. And I think that teams are kind of looking for teams are are targeting at, at the position. There's not as much there with Herbert. He has all of the tools to do it. Right? He has the size. He has the arm. He has the mobility. Um, I think the important thing for the next year is is him and Kellen Moore working together um, to sort of unlock that a little bit more, get him more comfortable in those situations and as well as attack that field, obviously. Yeah. That's not to say that I don't think you can win with Justin Herbert uh, or now even that he's paid because he has the talent to do it. There's a great book uh, that if you haven't read, you should by Bruce Feldman about, I think it's just called, quarterback or making of a quarterback I, I read it a couple summers ago and then I saw Bruce at the combine across the room and I yelled I love your book um, and he called security but um, it's it's super good and and one of the things that he reports on is how like college coaches are always looking for certain personality types that have like a like this dynamic element to them and those guys the Allen and and the Mahomes and the Burrow they have it that anyone I mean you don't have to have watched almost any football at all anybody who saw like 10 minutes of John Elway or Joe Montana or something would be like that's it that's that I, I don't know what it is but Burrow has it just like they did, just like the legends did. And I'm not sure that I see it in Herbert. It reminds me of, and this is going way too old for you, but it reminds me of how Dan Marino would always get his teams close and could never quite do it. He they didn't get sacked a lot and had an unbelievable arm, but there was something to it. Like when things broke down, especially later in Marino's career where he, and this is, this is olds only for you, Ben, you just ch- you walk out of the room for this, but there was something like he had this Achilles injury and there was something after that where he couldn't really make those plays anymore. And in the playoffs, it would kind of get him every year. And I feel like there's something to that, to uh, Justin Herbert, but I won't um, just continue to talk about how I grew up in the nineties. Um, but I, I did want to bring up a few other quarterbacks just to get your, your takes on these, because I, I think that there's like, some guys who could go one way or the other Desmond Ritter is a confusing one. And I'm kind of focusing on guys that the Vikings are going to play this year. Cause I think they have a hard quarterback schedule, but it might not be depending on a few guys. I think Taylor Heineke, their backup is going to play like halfway through the season. There is nothing that I see from Desmond Ritter that makes me think, Oh yeah, good job, Atlanta. You should have stayed with Desmond Ritter. Uh, is it, am I missing something with that? Like a third round pick who didn't play well at all. I, I don't really understand why they decided to stick with him. I don't really think you're missing much. I, I know Ritter had a, a pretty big fan club on the, uh, on the online quarterback community coming out of Cincinnati. It's he had some accuracy issues. Um, but as far as just the, right, the, the essential quarterbacking sort of task, right. He knew how to read a defense. He knew how to, how to drop back, how to work the pocket, all of that stuff. He, he played pretty well at Cincinnati in those areas. There's not a lot of data in the NFL. He started out really poor and those numbers kind of skewed um, his overall numbers last season. But again, it, he wasn't very accurate. Um, he struggled pushing the ball downfield, which their offense did in general uh, last season. So I'm not necessarily surprised that they stuck with him, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, we get to this point next year and there's another quarterback in there who isn't Taylor Heineke either uh, because some of his underlying numbers were pretty rough in Washington. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Taylor Heineke is good. I'm just saying Ritter's going to get benched. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what I think, but 
Yeah, you mentioned, and I remember during that draft that there were a handful of analysts who were talking about him. It's like, well, he's got the best footwork and pocket presence. And, uh, you know, I think we need to talk about how he runs like a 4-4 and it doesn't look like it at all. And and so where not being able to maximize that athleticism and you mentioned pushing the ball downfield, that is such a such a big deal. And I just don't see the physical tools there for him as a quarterback to be dangerous. And if you're the Vikings, I think um, you're, you're happy that they didn't make any different move at the quarterback position there. So one more uh, thing for you. What do you think the Vikings should do at quarterback in the future? Because uh, we asked Kwesi Adafo the other day. And his answer was like, uh, everything's on the table. There was nothing from the Vikings press conferences that made it seem imminent that Kirk would sign an extension or that he'll be here past this year. It just everything points to him not. Um, but I mean, if you want to select keep Kirk, that's an option for you. How do you think that they should handle it? I, I think that they should move on. All right. I think we've seen enough at this point to, to know that when you're paying Kirk what you're paying him, right, and then you add Justin Jefferson's contract into the mix, it's very difficult to have be paying that much money to to those two players. Um, and, and rookie makes the most sense. The, the tricky thing is I don't think they're going to be bad enough. They're going to have the same decisions that they've had, right? Kenny Pickett, Will Levis. Um, you're going to have to hope that that someone slides a little bit and you can probably trade up to – attend something like what the chiefs did with Mahomes, Um, But I, I think getting a rookie quarterback in that situation where they do have some pieces, right. They have two good young tackles and Darius on O'Neal. You have Justin Jefferson, you have TJ Hawkinson, you have drafted Jordan Addison. It's a situation where a rookie quarterback should be able to have success. Um, tricky thing is just going to be finding the right one. Okay. I know that this is like right at the beginning of training camp and it's a weird question to ask, but I think, People will like if I ask it to you. Uh, what if Arizona picks number one and takes Caleb Williams and the Vikings don't have a quarterback and Arizona calls and says, how about like a second round pick for Kyler Murray? And keep in mind, I know his contract is a lot. I did look up. Why not? Uh, the restructures and stuff like that. You can move around some of that money with his contract. So it doesn't have to be $50 million cap hits. Uh, how are you on that idea? Like, uh, Ice cold, lukewarm, blazing hot. Do you like that? Somewhere between lukewarm and blazing hot. Uh, I think because of because of the rookie thing I said, where I don't think they're going to be that bad. You're probably not in the running for one of the top picks, and you would also be buying low on Murray. Right? He's he's a quarterback who did not play well last year. That offense has been it was bad, right? And they're going to be bad again. So even if he comes back at the end of the year, he's probably not going to play well again, but he, he's a talented quarterback. Um, we've seen him sort of be able to attack those downfield windows. Uh, maybe not as much over the middle of the field, but he, he's, he's a good deep thrower. He can create with his legs. He, he has that freelancing ability we talked about. Um, so I wouldn't hate it if you're trading, say a second round pick for him. Um, even if he has the higher contract, you can probably move off if, if things don't work out. So uh, I don't hate that at all. If I'm going to have a quarterback thing fail, 
with a former number one pick who's an, an unbelievable athlete with a great arm and pair him with the best receiver in the world. Like, I, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to take my chances. And if we fail, it'll be very fun is the way I would look at it. If I was Quasi Adafo Mensa, but of course my career is not on the line. If I make a, the trade, I just make fake trades. Um, but I, I have kind of liked this idea and I know I always hear, I can hear people cringing and getting upset but go back like halfway through 2021 it it reminds me almost of like a Carson Palmer with the Cincinnati Bengals where he showed what he could do but the situation devolved into something so terrible and ugly that you know he had to leave and eventually showed when he had the right situation and an all-world receiver how good he could be and I think Murray is a tick below your burrow and your Mahomes but it's not as below as our most recent. We just re- we just react to whatever just happened. When people rank quarterback tiers, I always kind of like, well, I don't know, because it's whatever just happened is the ranking. And uh, power rankings are the same way. Yeah, a team it's, gets it's, a it's every win. ranking. <laughs> it's right, every- yeah. They, well, a team gets a big win in week four. It might not matter at all. And they shoot up like 12 spots in a power ranking. Like, what? So anyway, um, I think it'll be a fascinating quarterback year. We've got rookies that are set to start that were all drafted super high, uh, a lame duck Kirk, um, Jordan love a quarterback. We don't know about in green Bay, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, very interesting. And so to prep you for all of it, you should, uh, sign up for pff.com if you don't have it already. And the QB annual is just a shower of data that you can immerse yourself in. It's very fascinating stuff to go through. So I implore people to go check that out. And if you already have PFF and you don't know that it dropped, then now, you know, and you can get a look at it. So Ben, uh, you're the best man. Thanks for doing this. Always love getting together with you. Uh, we, we can make it more semi-annual. We can get, get, get together other times. Hopefully uh, we'll do that during the season rather than just uh, to talk QBs, but love having you on and uh, really appreciate your time. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on anytime.